Hello and welcome to Growing Trends. This is your host Chris Coop with Ann Miller. Today we are interviewing Bill Sosinski, the founder of Energine University. Chris, you want to jump in? There's so many things to, to ask or, or say, it's difficult to know which ones to hone in on. But if I was a student, for example, uh, listening to this, where would I start, do you think, Bill? Well, Chris, that's a, that's a good question. I, I always think, first of all, we have to get our platform together, and that's what we've been working at diligently for the last two years. And we will. I, I can't tell you when it's going to be, if it'll be in the next six months or in the next year. It's going to depend on funding and how much we can develop and how quickly we can do it. But I would say with anyone, you have to follow your passion. What is it that you're interested in? What is it, how is it that you want to have an impact on the planet? Uh, and then we try to find that exact match in terms of how people relate to our university. We may only have maybe one to 200 core courses, but Energon University is going to partner up with, at this point, over a dozen different educational platforms to provide a really diverse, diverse accessibility to all types of education that are going to support this process as we go global. And there are a lot of other people, there are a lot of other roles to be played in, in providing the sustainable infrastructure. And some of them are very, conven- you know, very conventional roles, telecommunication, economics, uh, you know, accounting, uh, uh, logistical support, construction. So these are all things that have to be part of that process. It's not enough to tell people what to do or show them what to do, but you also have to provide the, the mechanisms and all of the pieces that go to solving, uh, to putting that puzzle together and solving that challenge. So we'll, we will be providing that. So as I was going to say, where are you going to get started? What is it that you want to do? What is it that you're passionate about? How do you see yourself? Where are you talented? Where do you think your, your, your skills lie? And I think that's what people need to find for themselves and hopefully will be uh, set up in a way that people will be able to identify that personal pathway for themselves and define how it is that they're going to contribute. Because at this point, I think, all of us need to contribute. And it's not a matter of, you know, this is a wonderful thing or a nice thing to do. This is the most selfish reason in the world. If we don't get this together, if we don't all start pulling our part and working together and not only doing what we have to do, but empowering that same opportunity for folks we don't know on the other part of the world, we're not going to make it. Not in, the, not in any shape, way, or form that we're used to. Because even if the United States became zero carbon tomorrow, stop putting no pollutants into the atmosphere, you would still have the rest of the world poisoning the oceans and the atmosphere. And eventually we'll lose our biodiversity and all the things that we expect and that we, we now have the pleasure of enjoying from those environments and from those resources will be gone forever. And when I mean forever, I mean forever. This planet's not going to die. Human beings are not going away. I, I think human beings in one form or another will be here for thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. But as far as homo sapiens is concerned, if we change the chemical balance of the ocean, which we're on course to do right now, or we permanently eliminate, you know, all these higher mammal forms like elephants and polar bears and, and tigers and lions, they're, they're gone forever. There's no way we're going to bring them back. I mean, everybody has some sort of hope that science is going to come along and we'll be able to clone all these species back. It, not the case. I mean, I don't think most people are even aware, you know, algae, which is the basic form of life on this planet, from which we derive almost all of our food and energy, has come as a basis of the food chain in the ocean. 
We've lost over 30% of our algae species in the last 35 years, and you don't hear wow. anyone talking about it. it should be, everyone should be screaming in, in, in frightened excitement. You know, they, okay. they should be terrified about this, but no one even mentions it. And we're just oblivious to That's it because it's not, it's not people, something people want to talk about, and it's not anything that people feel empowered to do anything about. And all I'm saying is we can do this. We have the ability right now to start turning this around and in a dramatic fashion and to do it in such a way where everything that we enjoy right now, most of what we enjoy right now, is going to be available for our future generations and our kids. And this is really about our kids. We do not want to leave them a world 35 years from now that is absolutely bereft of resources where their daily existence is, uh, is based around trying to find enough sustenance to make it through the day or that week and where people start feeding upon one another for resources because they, are, they no longer have the ability to find those resources in their home village or their home country. And we have scavenger groups of human beings all over the world just looking for a day's survival. And that's what we're headed towards. You can see it already. Look at Somalia. Look at what's happened in places in Central Africa as the societies have broken down. And you'll see that more and more in the future, and it's going to happen in a much more dramatic way if we don't start addressing these issues. So the good news here is that um, it's very doable, and that's exciting because a lot of what is you know we're sharing today uh, is very it's scary stuff. I mean, there's no getting around it. It's it's if everything that you say and as you're presenting it is true, then it's a pretty bleak future, and yet at the same time also can be very 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 bright. And that's what I hope that people that are listening can realize is that. You know, you, it takes just one person, um, you know, doing their part and the next person and the next person and everybody has to work together and then it does make a difference. Well, yeah. I'd say this. This is, and, uh, this is the most exciting time in human history to be alive. We're the luckiest generation that's ever lived because we have the ability to change and, and direct the course of every future generation based on what we do over the next 35 years. There's no time in history I would have rather have been alive for than right now because I think this generation is going, to, is going to do it. I'm convinced that we're going to be able to find the will and the desire and the focus to be able to address these issues and do it in such a way where future generations will look back with real, with real pride and a real sense of, of, of gratitude for the fact that we were able to pull together and get this done. But that is the necessity of our times. And I think that you see it. You, you, you see it in the protests that, that occurred a few weeks back, you know, in New York, in this wonderful material that's being put out by folks like Leonardo DiCaprio and, and you, know, very, you know, people who are very interested in changing our future. And you see that there is a, a level, a critical mass of understanding and awareness that's starting to take effect. What we need to do, though, is now that people are becoming aware of the issues, is provide the pathway for them to constructively work our way out of the, the challenges that we've, we've imposed on ourselves through mismanagement of our resources and through uh, uh, really uh, poisoning our atmosphere and our oceans. And I think we can turn it around. I really, I'm confident we will, but uh, it's going to require quite an amount of work, and people can't just expect it to happen on their own. They need to participate. You know, I, I, would think, I would think in the future, Chris, we can keep the – this was a big uh, – you know, I, I know we wanted to start out small and it just got big, 
I'd be very happy to just speak about much, much smaller subjects and much more focused subjects if we know in advance what we're talking about. And that could be anything. It could be about, you know, it doesn't matter. But I'm very happy to just talk about specific small subjects. I like that, actually. I, I think that's how it will develop because that's how people can probably comprehend what we're talking about. And, right. and especially if, if you're saying that there's only 0.1% of 0.1% understand, which I right. you know, judging by what you read in the, in the press these days, that's exactly the problem. Um, but we can, uh, there are all sorts of other people we can bring into the equation that, that um, we can introduce you to uh, and the conversation can then become really quite interesting. And, I love and, that. You know, people, you know, like and natural a- seed growers and things. And, and that's really all we need to do because it, what will happen is then it will have a life of its own. And, and the, the, the program, as long as we, we put sort of a bare um, skeleton to it, it can right. go off in different places and come back again. And I think that's going to be the really exciting part because the youngsters are going to need one side of it. The, the uh, students that are heading to university are going to need another side. And then the young families are going to need another side. And then, you know, the more mature families are going to the other side. And then the, the guys that are about to uh, retire and stuff have got a totally different side. And, and I think that if we relate it in the way that people live, we'll, we'll probably be able to get the message across. No, that's a great idea. I, have a, I work with a woman, Liz Greenwell, who I think is just an absolutely phenomenally wonderful woman who's been putting together Global Cooperation Day for the last few years. And it's been building every year. It's still in its infantile stages, but it's growing. And uh, she would be a wonderful person to have on this program. And she talks about it from a strictly humanitarian standpoint of what she's trying to create. She has a film called Watering the Fields of Humanity that is a wonderful concept of showing people exactly what Energon University is trying to accomplish, which is enriching our population to the point where they're more uh, involved and integrated in our solutions, by making a better world for people, by getting people to focus on economic development that truly generates a, a standard of living elevation rather than just, uh, uh, just utilizing resources for their highest immediate profitability. And that's an issue. I mean, you know, you go to Africa, you know, most of the guys who get their contracts over there, they're not interested in building up the economy or building up the society. They're interested in extra- extracting resources. And business is done in a way where people are paid off, the resources are extracted, and the people who got paid off are rich. They wait till they get deposed or thrown out of their country, and then they move to Miami Beach. You know, and the, and the country's left without yeah. resources. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. It's not just the United States. Everybody does it. Because you have a unsophisticated population that really does not understand what's at stake. But they're beginning to understand because they're running out of food now. Places like Mozambique, I mean, the amount of protein that people eat is going down yearly. And, you know, it's gone from eating chicken and fish to eating a higher quantity of insects in the diet. And people's quality of what they're eating is being reduced on a daily basis. And then, again, you have areas like Somalia, you know, and other areas where there's tremendous, tremendous uh, starvation. And uh, not to mention what's going on medically in in the country with, you know, Ebola and HIV and AIDS. And certain countries are being completely depopulated. And I don't think that the West or, you know, Europe or Asia really even cares because they look at it as an opportunity to go in there and grab the resources, which is really 
terrible. I mean, I, I feel terrible saying that, but that's, in fact, that's, that's factual. They don't care. They would like to see Africa depopulated. It's easier to grab resources if no, wow. there's no one there to protect them. You know, I mean, and that's gone on. You know, that's not, this isn't the first time that's happened. I mean, this is historical for human beings. You know, we're, we're wonderful. We create, you know, Jesus and Gandhi and Martin Luther King and, and Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein, but we also, you know, for the most part, can be an over-consuming, you know, educated rat. And, and to a large extent as to how we relate to the environment, that's really a more accurate depiction of what humanity is. And uh, sometimes that's not a very humane or a very uh, sensitive or caring being. And we need to reverse that. We need to recognize that every single human being on this planet, you know, at one point or another comes from the same genetic, you know, material. We all were from that same family in central Tanzania two million years ago. And we need to re-remember those ancient ties and start caring about people and stop thinking about only about what's in it for me and think about what's in it for us. And stop thinking about the concept of us and them because there is no such thing as them. There is only us. And unless we learn to work together, to care about each other, and to make sure that every human being on this planet has that pathway to productivity so that they can work as part of a a global team to manage our resources and to take care of our environment, we're going to fail. And that's a terrible thing, but that's that's the facts right now. That's the 21st century. And that's what we're required to do. And, you know, like Plato said, necessity is the mother of invention. So perhaps Energon University is just part of that necessity. It's what needs to happen. And if everything else is going to happen properly, we have to have an educated, we have to have an educated and trained population. You cannot fight a war. And this is a war for survival of our, our biosphere and survival of our planet the way we're used to having our planet. And a, and a safe and secure and prosperous future for our kids, you have to have an educated army and a trained army. And right now, like you know, we said before, maybe one-tenth of one percent of people have even the slightest idea what to do. We've got to get that equation much, much higher. We need, we need most of our population knowing what to do, not just a small fraction. And that infrastructure is not there right now. And Energon University is trying to organize that infrastructure globally in 40 different languages, in 200-plus countries, accessible to every man, woman, and child in every town, city, and village on the planet, so that if they want to participate, we can give them a pathway to prosperity. And it's not going to cost them anything, because we, that is something we owe our population. That's not something that we need to, to barter off as something that has to be paid for or something that you know some folks can afford and other folks can't, because their knowledge benefits us. So the fundraising that you're doing, what are the funds going to be used for? Well, I guess initially what our funds are going to be used for is to create a basic curriculum. As much as we've talked to a number of countries, uh, Philippines, New Zealand, Ghana, South Africa, uh, probably about, I would say, somewhere between 15 and 20 countries that want to participate and would like us to come in and provide this type of curriculum for their universities and schools, they want to see how it works. And in order for us to do that, it requires us putting together the basic platform by which the, uh, you know, the program can be distributed online and getting, paying these professors 
for their time and effort to put together curriculums online, which takes months. I did one course that just for free for uh, energy efficiency to teach people how they could be energy efficient in their buildings in the United States and commercial buildings to show them what it would look like. But the truth okay. is, is they want to see a curriculum. And not only that, we need to be able to put together specific curriculums for those countries that are interested so that we can show them the pathway as to what they need to do from a political standpoint, an infrastructure standpoint, and a resource management standpoint to start turning around their own individual issues as to how they manage their water, waste, food, and energy. So this is not that expensive. I'm sorry? I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was saying, how many countries do do you have, do you have, like, um, you're talking about it has to be developed specifically for each country. I think you talked about that earlier, you know, a curriculum that addresses their their individual assets or um, right. what they have in abundance and then what they don't. Um, well, think about, okay. So how many countries, how many are we talking about that have already been contacting Energon University and are interested in? in I would in, say that we've had, we've had discussions with at least 15 to 20 countries that want Energon University in their countries, and we are currently, in one form or another, talking to over 140 countries. And, but they don't have the assets to be able – they don't understand it. That's the problem. No one understands the process. And okay. as much as we try to explain it to them, they say, that's great. This is going to solve, but how? Show us. Okay, right. but we have to develop the courses. Well, develop some courses and show us how it's going to work. So to answer the initial question, the money that we make or the money that we get is going to, get toward, is going to go towards curriculum development. And we'll probably okay. do a core curriculum of 20 to 40 courses – that relate to agriculture, aquaculture, water, waste management, uh, energy production, basic things. And then we will create a course for every individual country that will evaluate their, their infrastructure, that will evaluate the climate, that will evaluate their access to water, to wind, to sun, you know, what, what needs to be done, what their issues are with agriculture, how can they improve their agricultural systems, how do they have to manage their waste better. And there's a different pathway for every part of the world to reach that, that sweet spot where right. they're creating an economy that actually makes money. For instance, and just to give you an idea, I, I've always divided the world into four basic regions. You have warm and moist regions of places like you know, Honolulu, Hawaii, or Costa Rica. You have warm and dry areas, uh, areas like the Persian Gulf, uh, you know, desert areas, the west coast of uh, uh, of Peru. You have cold and dry areas, say central Russia, and you have cold and wet areas, places like, uh, you know, Great Britain or the east coast of the United States in the northern part, right? Uh-huh. And in each place that you go, there is going to be a different level of infrastructure. Uh, some places might be brand new in countries that have recently developed. You might have older countries where the infrastructure is becoming older, obsolete, and needs to be retrofitted. And then you go to places, you know, say in, uh, you know, Africa that they're just basically starting the process of building sewer systems and, and water distribution. And, and so every place you go, you've got that difference. And then, you you know, certain places, there's a lot. Certain places, it doesn't rain at all. Certain places, you have uh, tidal areas where you can, you know, get energy from, you know, from the tide and from water moving from place to place. Or they have river systems that can create hydro energy. Other places have abundant sun or wind. And you have to know what's there. What can we use that is inexhaustible, that can start creating businesses 
that we can then go around and start funding the rest of this process. Because you know, you're eventually dealing with bankers and with investors. And their primary concern always comes down to project viability, ROI, uh, risk management, things like that. And this has been a very difficult uh, economic world since the, you know, since the middle of the last decade when things started, you know, uh, for better or worse, collapsing, particularly in the United States. It's been rather robust in the rest of the world, but it's still a very, very tough climate as far as risk management is concerned for investors. So right. until we have actual models out there that show people how it works, they don't get it. They want to go for what's simple and what's sure. And even though they want to change the world and they're, you know, they want this to be a, a much more promising future, they don't want to take a financial risk that they consider that they're going to lose their basis for changing the world in the future because they're going to lose it on a bad idea. And there have been a lot of bad ideas out there. And there are a lot of people who do this whose main concern is making money and not really solving the problem properly. And it, you have to approach it properly. I mean, with Energon, that's all we've ever been concerned about is the solution, getting it right. But, you know, then you start talking with, you're dealing with scientists and you're dealing with people with tops in their field. And folks don't understand what they're talking about. They're not, they're not people people. They're not politicians. They're, their trade is understanding, you know, uh, applications and, and science and, and, you know, all this wonderfully complex material. And they're not necessarily great at communicating what needs to be done at a simple level. And the folks that really control that process don't really understand the science and they don't understand the need. They just know there's a problem and, and they're politicians. And if they're well-intended or not, they're not solving the problem. And we've seen that. They've failed miserably up until this point. And for all the goodwill and intention out there, we're no further along right now from a political standpoint in solving our global issues than we were 40 years ago when I started. So I, I've always wondered why we don't, for example, as each country needs things, look, look around the world and take the 10 best um, solutions that come up and analyze those rather than just go it on our own because there's an awful lot of things that work that have been perfectly adequate that, that are out there that perhaps we haven't seen that's that's a good question but the best solution best how when you're talking about best solution we're talking about a solution that solves a problem of sustainability best solution generally is what's most profitable and what's most profitable well, in the short true. term with the least amount of risk isn't necessarily what solves your problem in the long run. And, you know, we've done this to ourselves. I, I, I don't villainize the oil companies or the food, you know, the food, uh, uh, oh. you know, mega giants globally because we created these companies. We created the markets and, and responded to their market development in a way that made them feel this is the way they had to go. And we created a marketing system that requires that they continuously, you know, grow their profits. And they're not given the opportunity to make these fundamental changes to their operations without making and exposing themselves to losing profit share, diminishing the value of their stock, which is what, you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility. So I, I don't think they're doing the right thing, but I understand why they're not doing it. And I think we've put them in that position. There's not enough intelligence to... And there's nothing right now that's allowing us to make that change. We're so brainwashed. I, I hate using that word or preconditioned, but that's in, in fact accurate as to how we perceive economic development and what has to happen in what particular way. 
that we're incapable of understanding that our current forces is, is suicidal, that we are overutilizing our resources to the point where we're going to be left with nothing to sustain our population based on our inability to manage our, our, manage our resources. We, we just overcompete for them. And what's required is us working together, but human beings don't work together, at least not easily. Well, we've seen that with the politics of it all, haven't we? It's, we uh, have. It's been, it's been five, 10,000 years of our history. You know, otherwise we wouldn't fight wars. I mean, most of the wars are fought over resources and economics. We never come to the conclusion of, hey, listen, why don't we just work together, try to build this up properly, and we can manage it for both our populations. It's easier just to, you know, to, to take them or to overutilize them and move on to the next thing. It takes less thought process, yeah. and we're very good at that. That's true. Um, I'm sorry to have to tell you that we are running out of time here, but um, this has been absolutely fascinating, hasn't it, Anne? Oh, my goodness, Bill. I just... I could listen to you all day. <laughs> you hey, hey, opened up a, a whole, whole new world for me. I, I have to be, you know, I have to be honest about that. I have a son from South Africa, or not South Africa, um, Sierra Leone, West Africa, and, um, you know, he's he would love to go back to his country someday and make a difference, and I just would love to see something like this take off there. Right now they're fighting Ebola. Um, They're having a tough time over there right now. Yeah, and you know, uh, that country always has a tough time. I remember when I adopted him, and this is, you know, he was five, he's 18, 19 years old now. I mean, that at the time, that country was put at the bottom of the list of all the countries in the world by the UN as, in terms of places to live. <laughs> it was like the right. bottom last, and I don't think it's ever changed. Um I mean, I would love to do, I would love to promote this and, and really do all that we can. I'm sure, Chris, you feel the same way. Yeah. Do all that we oh, can God, to get absolutely. the word out for you. And, you know, I feel like a very small little person over here with a little bitty radio show on the Internet. But who knows? I mean. Well, you know what Gandhi said, one person who's determined can change the world. And, and that's the truth. So if we're determined to make a change, and we're passionate about it, and we're consistent in, in uh -huh. communicating with people and engaging them and bringing them into the solution in a way where they can be effective and make a change, we'll be able to solve this. But it requires more and more key. people making that commitment. I think that's so key, Bill, is that we have to find, we have to keep um, accentuating people, touching them where they live um, in a way that, shows them the positiveness of their own actions when they do take initiative, when they do take part, when they do step out of their comfort zone, whatever, and they do something that it contributes. It makes a difference. And so going forward, and I'm sure Chris, you would feel this is the same way. That's what I want to continue to focus on is just, okay, that's why I even asked you, okay, I'm just one little person, little in, little in the middle of the Midwest. What can I do? Because people will listen, and there'll be people like me saying, gosh, what can I do? What can I do? They'll want to do something. So we want to answer that call as much as we well, can. Well, I think maybe that's what we can talk about in the future. Let's, go, let's do individual shows about, about what you can do on a specific level, what you can do, you know. Have, let's talk about communities and how they have to address it. But I would say this. You know, you have, at least on, around the United States, there's a, a, people are starting to take action everywhere. And there's all sorts of new business enterprises 
and efforts to create one wonderful solutions for the future. But there's still a lot of ignorance out there, and there's still a lot of disagreement and argument and, uh, and confusion that separates our country into camps of thinking, well, we have to protect the environment, or no, but we can't damage the economy. And what kills me is the fact that these two sides are not talking to the other. It's not mutually exclusive. We can do both. There is an intelligent way to utilize our resources where we can increase the profitability, create more jobs, higher levels of income, you know, higher standard of living and, and, and employment for our population, and at the same time clean up the planet so that we're making sure that those resources are available in the future. Uh-huh. And really, that's what it's about. You know, as much as we want to talk about protecting the, the planet, it really comes down to resource management. If we manage our resources properly, we don't create pollutants. If we manage our resources properly, we don't create climate change. You know, we don't create all the problems that we're going to have to face in the very near future because things are going to get a lot more difficult in the future. There's no way we're avoiding this but there's degrees to how bad it can get. And I've been telling this to people for years. Now I'm seeing articles on it that are saying the same thing, but I've been telling this to people since 1973. And right now we're at the point where we're recognizing for the first time that what we do may have an effect on how bad this gets. Are we going to lose our coastal cities? How high are the, are the oceans going to come up? Uh, you know, we don't know. We don't even know if we're going to go into an extended warmer period or whether we're going to create another ice age. We don't know. We haven't had the experience of altering our environment to the extent that we're currently altering our environment by injecting all this carbon into our, into our biosphere that was before locked into our, you know, our internal strata. It's now out there, and that chemical balance can manifest itself in any number of different ways, or at least it has historically if you go back in the geological records of our planet. So we don't know how that's going to turn out. Anyone who's sure who it's, how it's going to turn out is absolutely out of their mind lying because we don't know. So, but we don't want to find out either because we've gone through this wonderful interglacial period that has seen the fruits of humanity blossom, you know, through the Renaissance and through to, through to 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 modern men to where we're at a point right now where we've we've created this, you know, for one form or another, a a wonderful potential for our for our planet and for our population. But at the same time, we've totally totally mismanaged our resources, and we are in danger of losing everything unless we get very smart and very efficient quickly. And that should be our goal from country to country. This is in everyone's best interest. This is not a matter of one country doing better than another. This is we have to make sure that they've got everything they need in Liberia or in Sierra Leone. Otherwise, it's going to come back to bite us in the United States. Uh That's the truth. And no one seems to realize that. They think of it as that's the problem over there, but it's not over here. It's all on this planet, and right now the problem is the planet. The problem is every ecosystem on the planet. They're all connected, and they're all collapsed. And unless we start correcting that everywhere on the planet so that those areas become vibrant enough to start supporting a recovery, whatever we do in one area is going to be not a waste of time, but it's not going to be enough. So, Bill, I'm sorry to have to say that uh, I've got to cut in. Not a problem, Chris. Run out of time. Thank you. We we really, really, really want to get back to this again soon. Hey, listen, whatever you guys want. I love talking to you, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Well, what what we'll do is we're going to put this on 
um, it will go out live um, on our show, but at the same time, it will be downloadable, so you can use it for whatever you want. So if you want to put together some structured um, discussions and things, we can do that, and they will be available to download uh, and use on podcasts and everything like that. So that's the beauty Thanks of Thanks so system. much, Chris. Greatly appreciate it. And I'm doing, I, I do like, at this point, I'm doing a video every two months also that are just a five or six minute small snippet of sure. a particular area that we're talking about. You know, so that, and I'm writing an article a month, so uh, that would be fantastic and, well, and greatly appreciated. Yeah, we can link all of those to the website without any problem at all. And, and I think what we'll probably end up doing is we, we, we've really um, had a, a, an eclectic group of people that we've spoken to, and, and from beekeepers to um, tree growers to farmers to all sorts of things. And it's all really interconnected when you look at it. And um, oh, it is, and the solution has to be holistic. The problem is, is that most people does. see portions of the pie and they don't see the entire thing. And okay. and for me, I've spent an entire lifetime trying to to look at the big picture and seeing how all the pieces fit together. So really, what Energyme is trying to do is not to be the solution. It's trying to orchestrate the collaborative integration of all the elements that will create the solution understanding that each portion is important for what it does. The, but everyone who's trying to solve the problem... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just thinking, I wonder if you could use the buddy system. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, no, well, no, the way I'm thinking of it, it, it is, is this. I've been a Rotarian for years, and, and we, are, we, we have a Rotary club here, and we have a contact club somewhere else in Africa, say, and we support them and do things for them, and they do things for us. But maybe, maybe what we should be looking at is looking at the, the, at the world's needs in that respect and saying, okay, so this area helps this area because they've got the expertise to deal with that, and this area helps that area because it's got the expertise to deal with this. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. I wrote a, a program. I mean, you'll laugh about this. I wrote a program in 1973 called Sustainable Planet that was based on a, a global education uh, competition where you would have four different groups from four different parts of the world, kids competing on a, on the, on a computer basis. And now, I mean, then you didn't have the internet, but the idea was around it. It was, it was based, you know, we knew the internet was coming. At least we had an idea, yeah. of it. but that you would have one group managing a region and building a region in a monopoly game that was dry and hot. Another place dry and wet, another place cold and dry and cold and wet. And they would have to coordinate their efforts, developing technologies, uh, utilizing resources. And then at the end of the year, the thousands, tens of thousands of groups from around the, around the world that were competing. One group, you would have one team that would have a group in Beijing, another one in Lagos, another one in Chicago, another one maybe in, you know, uh, wherever, in, in Brisbane, competing against four, you know, four other teams. Those teams would all compete. And you would actually have like a, a global Olympics based on sustainability. And they would be geared, you know, they'd be waged. You would be, uh, your final score would be how big a population you could support, how little waste you were creating, uh, how much you were producing. There were a number of different levels that you were gauged at the end of the game, but it would be fun because you're essentially building houses, you're, you're bringing population in, you're hiring people, you're utilizing resources, you're making choices as to how you manage your local resources for conservation or not, you know, and then every single day that you play, another year goes by, and that year maybe there's a lot of rain or there's no rain, 
there's a drought, maybe oil prices shoot through the roof that year. And depending on how you set up your, your structure in your community, you can either absorb those changes or benefit from them. And if you do it correctly and if you learn the philosophy of building economically in a way that's sustainable and that supports your environment, then you end, you end up winning the game. But it's also based on how you collaborate with your other teammates around the world. So it sets up a methodology that, that teaches children the requirement and need to balance resource management on a global level and to create global partnerships in order to achieve that. That was what the you whole need to turn that into a video game. Uh, I w- I'd like to. No, I need no. about $20 million. Turn it into a video game, and then you get kids playing it all across the world with each other, and then it starts them all thinking about that. I mean, I'm just saying. Well, I did a treatment for it a while ago, but I need $20 million to do it properly, so it's going to have to wait until I get the money. But I've already got the guys together who will design wow. it. And yeah. I looked into it about four or five years ago, but I've dropped it because I just don't have the money to do it. Yet. Yeah, yet. That, that's another $20 million that we need. <laughs> the amount of money that's required to do this, unfortunately, is, ex- is extreme. But, you know, again, none of this is going to be done for profit. Not for me, at least. I'm not, I'm not interested in the money at all, period. And uh, I know even with Energon, which is a for-profit company, I took a pledge when I started the company never ever to take shares out of it so that people would understand that, for me, this is not about becoming rich. This is right. about solving a problem. Right. Well, right, I've really got to um, say, fantastic! Thank you so much, Bill. And we Chris, will thank be you in so much for setting shortly. this up, and thank you so much, Anne. Greatly we'll appreciated. Any time you want me on, I mean, any time, please. I, I love this opportunity, and would right. love to be a part of this as much as I can be. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye bye.